This is the Books Podcast presented by Tim Haig. Beauty often blinds us to other qualities. When you're looking for conflicts, you often find them within families, and brothers just seem like a perfect setting for that. I ask you, gentlemen of the jury, is this the kind of book you'd like your wives and servants to read? We have talked to Larry Watson a couple of times before. He is one of my favourite novelists, so to be honest, I'm going to go a bit fanboy. Um, Larry, thanks for joining us on the Books Podcast. You're very welcome. Thanks for the kind words. The new novel is called The Lives of Edie Pritchard, and um, I'm going to put my cards on the table and tell you I thought it was absolutely beautiful. I loved it to bits. So (laughs) I'm, I'm just going to ask you to tell me about it. Let's start off with where we are. Where is the novel set? Uh, the novel is set in, in uh, Gladstone, Montana. It's sort of east-central Montana. It's not the part of Montana that ever makes it onto the uh, pretty picture calendars or the postcards. Um, and um, uh, the novel has three sections, and, and uh, there's a bit of, of Gladstone, Montana in all three sections. It's also the town that I said a previous novel, As Good As Gone, in. That's right. And it's, this is very much Larry Watson territory, isn't it? I mean, Montana is next door to your home state of North Dakota. And um, although <laughs> it's, it's quite a long way from where you currently live, it, it's all, you know, as far as we're concerned, it's, it's all in the same vicinity. It's the Midwest of America. That's right. It reminds me of those New Yorker, that New Yorker diagram or something that showed... Uh, a vast New York and Manhattan, and then the rest of the country just sort of squeezed together. Uh, but we're all out there, yeah. Okay. We said it's, uh, it's in three parts, this novel. Um, it, it, it covers pretty much, well, you call it the lives of Edie Pritchard. So it, it's, it's this woman, Edie, who, by the way, is a wonderful creation. Um, and and we, we find her as a young married woman, then later on, and then as a, as a grandmother at the end. We have to start with her because she is, she is the centre of the book. Uh, tell me about Edie. What sort of a woman is this? Uh, well, for one thing, uh, she is at the centre of the novel, and, and that was a bit of a surprise for me. My working title for this was uh, Edie and the Linderman Twins. In that very first section, she's married to Dean Linderman, and I thought those three characters uh, might share center stage. But as I wrote, Edie just came to the fore. Um, you didn't mention that she's beautiful, but she is. Uh, <laughs> we were going to. <laughs> but she has many qualities besides her beauty. It's not just uh, that she's beautiful, is it? It's that she's got a special quality. She's got a sort of uh, female star quality. There are other pretty girls. Uh, you know, uh, Roy Linderman, one of the brothers, the one she's not married to, in, in, in an early scene, you know, um, re- recollects a time when they were at high school. He saw Edie and another girl. She's lovely. But Edie was the one. And just looking at his back, he could see that she was, she was special. She was different. She was somehow um, beyond... Gladstone, the, the town that they grew up in. Uh, yes, that's absolutely right. Of course, uh, uh, Roy has a, an especially discerning eye, and uh, <laughs> he's especially observant when it comes to Edie. Uh, but apart from her, her beauty, she's smart, she's, she's brave, she's strong, she's loyal. 
but uh, as we all know, beauty can uh, beauty often blinds us to those other qualities, and those qualities are every bit as rare as as beauty. And that's part of the difficulty in Edie's life. Other people keep defining her, and um, she struggles with that. She also can be a minx. Uh, you know, uh, there's a, 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 a welcome home party. We'll come back to it because it's a central part of the plot. But she casually drops him in it and, and, and says something that Roy didn't want the family to know about. And there's a, there's a, um, there's a, a man who is attracted to her much later in life. When she's when she's working as a dental nurse, and the, this man keeps coming to get his teeth cleaned, and she's quite she's quite brutal with him in shutting him down. Uh, and and there's there's a scene when when she's uh, when she, Dean and Roy have had a fight over her, and uh, Roy falls asleep in one room. In the next room, she gets she tries to get Dean to fuck her, um, which is which is quite minxy. Uh. It is, and and she's perplexed, of course, uh, and and she comments on this in the very first section of the book when she's in the car with Roy. Uh, they've been talking about childhood diseases, which uh, Dean always got and Roy didn't, and and Edie wonders if desire is something like a childhood disease that one brother gets and it passes the other by, because Dean seems to have lost his desire for for Edie and and seems to be withdrawing and she can't figure out why but she tries very very hard to get his attention brothers is a a, a, a major theme of this book and and you've got a lovely little shorthand for brothers early on aunt nora who is um who is uh, the mom's brother says don't get into a car with Uncle Earl. That's the only thing we ever hear, hear about Uncle Earl. But then people also know, you know, there there are women who uh, whose husbands would never let them get into a car with Roy Lindemann, but not Dean. No, uh, brothers. And 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 later on, there's a pair of brothers who are travelling with with uh, Edie's granddaughter, who have a a, a similarly uh, toxic dynamic in a way. So what is the fascination of, of the brother dynamic for you what 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 does it mean uh, well, I'm not, I confess I'm not exactly sure and uh, I, I uh, have brothers myself when I was growing up it always seemed to me that uh, kids who had older brothers had some sort of an advantage that they had a brother who was going to go ahead and and educate them about sports and women Women and and the ways of the world. Um, well, I I write about places with <laughs> relatively small populations, so when you're looking for conflicts, you often find them within families. And um, brothers just seem like a, a perfect setting for that. Um, I, I should also say that the the twins in this novel are also. Uh, a fascination of mine. Um, our family is just rife with twins. My mother was a twin. My great grandfather was a twin. Aunt and uncle twins. Um, and so I've often put twins in my novel as, as to pay a kind of homage to family. But with this novel, I thought perhaps I'd do a little bit more 
exploration, and the twin brothers seemed perfect for that. Edie, it wonders whether she she chose the right twin because Roy and and Dean are uh, non-identical twins, but they're twins, and Edie knows that she could have chosen Roy, and Roy would have been happy for that. Why didn't she? Why did she choose Dean? Uh, well, uh, she has a discerning eye. I think she knows that that uh, if you are in a relationship with Roy, he is not likely to be faithful. Um, and in one of the very first meetings between Edie and Dean, he um, sort of comes to her rescue when a, a, a different boyfriend has has abandoned her. And uh, I think she sees in him somebody who might be there for her when she needs him. Um, she loves him. Um, she recognizes him as as the introvert that he is. Um, and uh, but sure, she's curious. She's curious. And uh, whether twins are identical or not, uh, there can often be a confusion. I mean, uh, you know, I think back to the twins that I went to school with. And even though Norton and Perry weren't identical, I, I, I was never quite sure which one was which. And we see that in, in Gladstone, in that small town, that someone would might say to Edie, oh, is it Roy you're married to? No, no, it's, it's Dean. Um, at the very beginning of the book, um, she, <laughs> she has got into a car with Roy Linderman, which is something most people know better to. And, um, of course, they're taking a trip for a, a, a good reason. In fact, one of the things I loved about the book is that every time she gets into a car with Roy, there is a good reason for it, even though it's not necessarily a good idea. Um, and I, I loved that uh, he was he was going on a mission. He's going to go and buy a, a truck, is Roy. And he pays he's paying Edie $40 for her help. It would have been Dean, but he's not well. And Dean would have done it for nothing. But it's, it's lovely that Roy is buying her, his, his sister-in-law, even on this small scale. That's right. And they're leaving Gladstone. And there are a number of times throughout the novel when when Roy is is making his pitch to Edie and uh, he wants to have a relationship with her. And, and he often proposes it in terms of, we'll go away, we'll go away, we'll just leave town. It doesn't matter in which direction. And um, he makes that proposal throughout his life and throughout Edie's. Almost his motivation for getting into a car is, is so that he can say to her, let's just keep going. That's exactly right. Yeah. And, and those, those, those car trips are uh, important in all three sections and, and uh, certainly the car trips with Roy, but also um, uh, a trip in the second section that Edie takes with her daughter. Men and women in this book um, are—they fall very much into two camps. I mean, I, I must say, you, you write women uh, so beautifully. I, I wonder, do you, do you ever worry about like what would they call it, gender appropriation? Do you ever wonder that people will uh, say, well, "What's uh, what's Larry doing uh, writing uh, women? Surely, what, what could he possibly know about being a woman?" Does that ever cross your mind? It crosses my mind. Uh, and remember, the book was only, <laughs> publication date was only a couple days ago, so uh, this could still happen. Sure, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah I'm, I'm ready for it. How will you respond? 
Well, I will say that um, though I think that men and women are different in significant ways, I will say that I think we are more alike than we are different, that uh, we share those human desires, fears, attitudes, well, maybe not attitudes, um, but um, I, I, in the discussion of differences between men and women in recent years, I, I sometimes fear that, that what we share has been lost. I have to say that, as well as Edie, there are um, lots of other wonderful films. I loved um, uh, Dean and uh, Roy's mother, she was brilliantly uh, and very deftly created because she doesn't have a lot of screen time, as it were. But she is so clear and so vivid. Um, it, it, it seems to me you got it right. Uh, thank you. Uh, yeah, I liked her a lot, too. I mean, I and I want to say I like her because she's not my mother. N- none of us wants her for a mother. Uh, one of those characters that we might like to read about or hear about, but not have a relationship with and in contrast um in contrast men in edie's world on the whole can't be trusted um to some extent some of them can but um is it just the effect edie has on them or is it all the men in 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 these towns in these in these uh, uh big wide open spaces of midwest america um I think there's, um, well, uh, certainly Edie has an effect on men, but I think her effect perhaps is to bring out this something in men. And I think that part of that something is to try to impose an identity on Edie. They want Edie to be someone for them rather than to try to see who Edie is um, for herself. And I think that's sort of a male thing, I'm sorry to say. I think it's gotten better over the years, but I think it's still I think it's still around. She does say at one time at one point, every time I run into somebody who knew me, I feel like a part of me vanishes because she she knows that what they're seeing is not what she feels that she is. It's one of the reasons that she moves away. And and then she finds herself back in, in Gladstone as a grandmother and um, feels that she, you know, it didn't work. And of course, moving around, moving away is, is very much a, a, a Larry Watson theme. And it's very much a theme of this book. You, you can't in the way, in the end, get away, can you? Well, no, you know, that old saying, uh, you know, wherever you go, there you are. Yeah. Um, and, and in, in Gladstone, uh, Edie is there and, Sometimes people uh, people remember her. Of course, she's a she's a memorable person, but they don't always remember her accurately. And finally, by the third section, she's she's given up. Uh, she knows that people remember her uh, in ways that are inaccurate, but there's not much she can do about it, or there's not much she's willing to do any longer. One of the things that Edie brings out in men is violence. Now, there is 
a little bit of violence. It's not. It's not a Clint Eastwood uh, film. This this book. It's. Uh, but uh, there is an enormous amount of latent violence. Sometimes things push comes to shove. Um, but there are guns all the way through the book. I, I, I think I'm right in saying that uh, they're never fired. But of course, the whole point about a gun is that it can be fired, and there, there's, this latent violence is is um, is always there. Uh, in a way that is slightly shocking. Are you especially conscious of that? Yeah. Yes, I am. Yeah. Uh, and and you're right. It, it's a it's a uh, the novel is a violation of the Chekhov law that said if there's a gun <laughs> in the man in the first act, it has to go off by the end. Uh, but no, the uh, the guns are around. Um, I think it is. It was. Uh, true of that part of the world uh, when I was younger. I've, I'm guessing that it's still true, and uh, uh, probably there are even larger arsenals uh, today. And and whether they are fired or not, their presence means something. Um, what in in the book? What in the uh, in the novel is the purpose of the of the latent violence? That any conflict can. Um, can escalate and become deadly. So it, it's it's sort of a way um, uh, uh, to raise the stakes, um, to know that any conflict um, can go beyond harsh words or even uh, uh, a, a fist fight. That's right. And at one point, uh, Roy has a gun, which gets lost. And at one point, Dean has a gun. Um, the, the, the feral brothers who turn up with, with Edie's granddaughter have a gun. And, uh, and, and these, it, it, they seem to be per- pervasive. But of course, it, it, it doesn't matter that you don't, uh, that you violate Chekhov's principle, because this is a sort of a, it's a sort of, a, quantum gun isn't it it's it's an uncollapsed wave function it can always happen it can always be fired so it's always there that's right and and um that and and they are near at hand too i mean it's not something that that uh someone has to seek out and and um you know it's it's almost as if these guns are always within arm's reach can I ask you quickly uh, about a, a word about your philosophy of writing uh, the one of the absolute delights of the lives of Edie Pritchard is its construction. It is it is put together like a Swiss watch. Um, and, and that I always think that's quite an old-fashioned virtue. It's a thing that novelists used to do. It used to be something that, that was they took pride in. Um, and I, I'm, I'm not sure it's as true now, but I think it might be to you. What is your attitude to that kind of thing? Well, I um, uh, thank you, first of all. <clears throat> I do believe that... Um, that literary works should be well constructed. I try to pay attention to uh, sentences and paragraphs in in putting the to get the thing together as well. Uh, I also believe in story, um, and um, stories I think have have uh, fallen into disfavor a bit um, in in um, literary circles today. Is it just me, or is this novel? Getting quite a lot of attention. Um, yeah, I, I I hope it does. Now it's possible that um, 
um, the fact that uh, there's a movie coming out and anytime there's a possibility that your name and a movie is mentioned in the same sentence Let's talk about that for a moment. Yes, we we spoke um, a couple of years ago, or several years ago, about your novel Let Him Go, which um, I loved to bits, of course I did, and which is now coming out as a movie. Um, is it next month? It was scheduled to be next month, and it has now been moved back to November 6th, uh-huh. and we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, people aren't, uh, I think they, they see that people are not yet ready to go to movie theaters. Ours aren't open yet. Ours are opening at the end of this month, if we're lucky. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, um, you want it to hit the movie theaters when people are going. Um, you've got to tell me, uh, who who is in the movie? Who are the stars? Uh, the stars are Kevin Costner, Diane Lane, and uh, British actress Leslie Manville. Who is wonderful, by the way. Um, uh, uh, ha- have you actually seen the film yet? Yes, we have. We have. Uh, oh, lucky I've- you. Yep, we watched it, and uh, we thought it was terrific. We just, uh, yeah, yeah. And are you now best buddies with uh, Kevin Costner? Uh, no, I'm not best buddies, but I have, I shook his hand. <laughs> okay. I hope he shook uh, yours, since you provided him with the part. And last time, we, in fact, we talked about turning it into a film, I think, or um, I, I seem to remember suggesting that Henry Fonda could have played it in times past. And Kevin Costner is almost the Henry Fonda of our day, isn't he? He's, he's just right. We might have talked about it. I had a conversation with uh, the director is also the screenwriter, Tom Bazooka. And I had conversations early on. And um, he's just done a, a wonderful job with the script and with the film. Uh, my wife and I uh, visited the set and... Um, were put in a screen and and uh, put in a scene. And if you look very quickly over Kevin Costner's shoulder <laughs> in the fancy restaurant, you'll see us there pretending to eat. Ah, oh, you little Hitchcock, you. That's brilliant. Well, I'm really looking forward to the film. Um, and that's Let Him Go. Um, I suppose that means that it'll sell a scad of copies with a movie tie-in. And yes, let's hope that um, that you know your name is that much more recognised, and uh, and Edie Pritchard also becomes uh, that kind of success. That'd be wonderful. We need an actress who can age from twenty-four to sixty-four. Oh, they can do that these days. Don't worry about that. <laughs> Larry, thank you very much. Um, the Lives of Edie Pritchard by Larry Watson is published by Algonquin Books. It's twenty-one pounds ninety-nine in the UK and twenty-seven dollars and ninety-five cents in the United States. And oh, I urgently recommend it. Thank you, Larry. You're welcome. Thanks so much for having me on your show. That was Books Podcast, presented by Tim Hay. Books Podcast is a Green Shoot production. You can find out more at www.green-shoot.com and Tim can be contacted on tim at green-shoot.com. <laughs>